Good morning again. Welcome to all of you who are joining us online. Um, I want to introduce to you my firstborn. Um, This is a picture of my daughter, Ellie. Now, she's much older than this. This is about 12 or 13 years ago. This is Ellie when she was a toddler. There in her lap um, is our second born, our daughter, Aria. It looks like her head is at risk of becoming detached. Um, But uh, Ellie was a great big sister to her. You can see she's a cute kid, but uh, what you can't see from this picture of Ellie at this age is something that Jocelyn and I, my wife and I, swear to be true. That is that, that Ellie at this age had the power to read our minds. Now, I know it sounds crazy, but uh, it, it seemed to be true, especially with Jocelyn. Um, we, we would experience moments like this. We'd be sitting on the floor, and Ellie would be playing, you know, just doing her toddler thing playing, and we'd be near her, but not necessarily playing with her. And, and Jocelyn would get a text, and it'd be from her sister, who lives in Oregon, and, and she wouldn't say anything about it. She'd just be looking through it, and Ellie just would look up from playing and go, Mom, when are we going to see Aunt Jenny again? And we'd be like, what's with this kid? Like, how does she know? And she would do stuff like that all the time. Now, maybe that sounds a little crazy to you, or maybe it's just science. You know, the brain is is a is an electrical thing, and maybe the wiring was similar between her brain and her, her mom's brain. Or um, there, there's been increased stuff about, about mind reading. It's actually called mentalism that says that it's not this mystical pseudoscience, seances, spiritual stuff, that it's actually just scientific stuff. Uh, Darren Brown, he's a, he's a Brit. I don't know if he's watching the royal wedding or not, but um, he's, a, he's a performer. He's a mind reader, kind of magician guy. He is adamant about, hey, all of this stuff is just natural stuff. It's just natural skills. Um, memory techniques, that's all that this stuff is. Or it's being able to really be attuned to people's subtle nonverbal cues. Or it's uh, the power of suggestion, hypnosis, hypnotic suggestion, or subliminal messaging. You know that stuff. The same reason that some of you can hear an audio clip that clearly says Yanny, and you think it says Laurel, just because someone told you hypnotic suggestion, that's what that is. Um, And so he says, you know, there's no magic to this stuff. It's not spooky, weirdo, mystical stuff. It's just simple It's just simple science. And so maybe that was it for Ellie. Maybe she just could read her environment or read her parents really, really well. Or maybe she had some other gift. What I can say for sure is if she got the gift of mind reading, she didn't get it from me because I'm no mind reader. And yet this is, this is what we want out of people in our relationships. If we're honest, we want them to be able to read our minds. We want them to be able to know what matters to us, what's important to us. We want them to be able to know what what we want, what we need from them, our deepest desires, our deepest longings. We want them to be able to know that stuff without ever having to tell them, without ever having to say a word. We expect that they should just know. And what, what, the problem with this, the reason this is a disaster is that we as people are all different, right? We're all different, and so we want different things. We have different expectations of life and relationships, and those expectations are all formed by different things. Our expectations come from multiple places. They come from our history. Who raised you and how they raised you has a lot to do with your expectations about what life should be like and what relationships should be like. You realize that, don't you? Uh, In my family growing up, Birthdays were a big deal. Now, we didn't have a lot of money, but we always took time to celebrate the person on the actual day of their birthday. No matter what else was going on, we carved out room and space to celebrate that person. 
in Jocelyn, my wife's family, they did something different with birthdays. Birthdays were celebrated at the earliest possible moment surrounding the birthday. So not on the actual day, but you know, a weekend or some other time where everyone could get together. So Joss and I get married and you can imagine what happens the first year. She suggests that we don't celebrate my birthday on the actual day, but we wait for the weekend. For me, that's not just a small thing. For me, what I hear her saying is, you don't matter enough to me that I should inconvenience myself to celebrate you on the actual day that you were born, even though that obviously makes sense. We have different expectations about these things. And I've come to realize one's not right. I mean, mine's writer, but you know, whatever. Um, but you know, they're formed by our history. They're formed by our history. And we just needed to understand that. But we both expected that it should just be the way that we were raised. That's just how it should be. Uh, secondly, our expectations are formed by romantic ideals. The books that we read and the movies we watch and the stories that we hear in culture, those, those inform our expectations of what life and relationship should be like. And when I say romantic ideals, I'm not just speaking about romantic relationships. See, these, these romantic ideals that exist in our culture, that appear in our movies and our books, they also inform for us what we believe our friendship should be like, our, our relationships with other people, our relationships with our kids, our relationships with our best friends. And we can watch the same movies and we can come away with different ideals or expectations based on the same movies. It's not even that we've watched different movies. Those things form our expectations in different ways. And then finally, our expectations are formed by the golden rule. I don't know if you can see this up here. Do unto others before they do it unto you isn't the golden rule. It isn't even the silver or the bronze rule. You know, someone hit their sister, right? But she was going to hit me. And so I preemptively. You know the real golden rule though, right? Someone shout it out if you know it. Yeah, do unto others, not before they do it unto you, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Sounds like good advice. In, in a lot of ways, it is. It's even got some roots in biblical teaching. And yet, this can make horrible relationship advice. If you've heard of love languages, how many of you have heard of love language, five lo- love languages? If not, go home and look, do some research on this. This will transform your relationships. There are five different ways that we communicate love or receive love five different modes, and we all have a preferred form. For me, mine is right over here. It's words of affirmation. And so for me, if you want to fill my tank, if you want to, if you want to give me fuel for life, if you want to make me feel good about everything, um, just say something substantive and kind to me, and that'll keep me going. That makes me feel incredibly loved. That's how I receive love. That's how I prefer to express love. But if I just do unto others as they would have them, as I would have them do unto me, and uh, I only express love to people in my life by writing them notes, I'm going to have a lot of people in my life who feel unloved. They're going to say, enough with the note writing. Can you give me a gift card? Because I mean, that would, that would be more meaningful to me. And, and what happens in our relationships is if my wife just does her preferred love language to me, I end up never feeling love. And her expectation is, this is how you show love. And my expectation is like, no, this is how you show love. And so even when we're trying to follow the golden rule, we're doing unto others as, as we would have them do unto us. And that sounds so high-minded. We may be missing each other. We may be failing to fulfill the expectations the other person has. So if you look at this list again of these three things, Um, what our expectations are formed by, our history, our romantic ideals, the golden rule. What we begin to see is that our expectations, they are so deeply held inside of us 
They are so uh, firmly rooted, buried deep within us. They are so strong within us. They inform what we think our relationship should be like and what they should bring into our lives. And because they're just so deeply rooted and we don't even necessarily know that they're there or that they come from, we assume, we make an assumption that because they're so dear to us, they should just be obvious to everyone else. Especially the people who love us. And then when they can't read our minds, that's when our relationships get into trouble. That's when our relationships get sick. See, see, here's the challenge for us today. Here's the challenge. It is your responsibility to uncover your expectations. It's not someone else's responsibility who loves you or cares about you to uncover your expectations. They can't possibly do it. The reality is that you have expectations that, that you have for people, for your relationships, that you aren't even aware of, and yet you expect them all the same. And it's your responsibility to uncover those expectations, to understand what it is that you truly expect. And not only that, it's your responsibility to ask others to meet them. It's your responsibility to ask. And if you can't do this, then here's what's going to happen in your life. Your boss will never appreciate you enough. And your parents will always miss the mark. And your friends will never be loyal enough or kind enough or whatever enough. And romantic relationships, forget it. You'll never have any that make the cut because you'll be expecting people in your life to be able to read your mind. And most of us don't have that gift. And if you're not sure about this, if if this is true or not, if you're kind of struggling with this, like really, is it my responsibility? I feel like other people in my life should do this. Let me just blow your mind for a minute. This thing... It's your responsibility to uncover your own expectations and to ask others to meet them. This is even true in your relationship with God. In your relationship with the Almighty God, it is your responsibility to uncover your expectations and to ask God to meet them. And if that sounds kind of crazy to you, just look at James chapter 4 with me um, in the room, page 1218. James says... What causes fights and quarrels among you? (laughs) It's a good question, right? But there are a lot of these in our relationships. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? This is so insightful that what goes on in our, our relationships, the fights and quarrels that we experience, they are a result of all of these desires that war within each of us. And some of those desires are sinful and unhealthy. And some of those desires are just unclear or unexpressed. And yet James says the reality of those desires that are battling with inside of each of us is that it causes strain and fights in our relationships. He goes on. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, this may be a little strong, but we find other ways to do harm to people in our lives when they disappoint us. He says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's so true, right? I mean, you have deep coveting. You have a deep desire for something. Maybe it's a material thing. Or maybe it's a deep desire for someone to do something, to treat you in some certain way, to provide something you want or need for you. And it's such a deep desire. And again, they can't read your mind and they don't know it. So you end up frustrated and it causes quarreling, causes quarreling and fighting in your relationship. And then he goes on and he says this, and, and he turns this on our relationship with God. And here's what he says. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, some of you have heard this before, but this is, it is truly mind-blowing to me. 
that the living God who is a certified mind reader, by the way, the scriptures attest that he knows your needs before you speak one of them. That he searches the heart. He knows your mind. He knows your thoughts. He understands you better than you understand yourself. That the living God who is a certified mind reader says, hey, if you want your needs met, if that's important to you, then you've got to ask. James says, it's your responsibility, even in your relationship with God, to uncover your expectations, your desires, and to ask God to meet them. Now, um, that sounds easy enough, but I don't know about you. This is definitely true for me. Asking for things is the hardest thing in the world. And again, I, I may be unique in this, but I don't think I'm completely unique. I think this is something we all struggle with, especially when it comes to our deepest longings, our deepest desires or insecurities or fears or expectations. And so here's, here's me. For a long time, again, I'll just share me. Maybe you're different, but I, I think there's some similarity in all of us. For a long time, I kind of thought of myself as a guy who just didn't want or need much. I prided myself on the fact that I was low maintenance. Any other low maintenance people in the room? It's like three of us. The rest of you are high maintenance, I guess. Um, I pride myself on, I'm low maintenance. I don't need much. I don't want much. I mean, my wife can tell you that. Like, that's just how I saw myself. And, And a part of that is true. And a part of that is a defense mechanism. Because I don't like to have to ask. The reason I think I don't want much or need much, and I sell that to myself and I tell that to people, is because asking terrifies me. The idea of putting out what I need most, the the deepest longings of my soul, I have a deep fear that if I do that, I'll get shut down. Or that if I ask for what I, I deeply need, the other person will laugh at me or say, so what? Or what's the matter with you? Or they'll help make me feel dumb or weird or selfish in some way. And so you know what I've learned to do? I've learned that deprivation is better than humiliation. And I've gotten used to depriving myself sometimes, not just of, you know, not high maintenance, low maintenance, but things that I truly long for, things that I need, things that are legitimate and healthy and right. I know it's crazy. I'm in therapy. Don't, don't pity me. And I'm certainly not asking for help here. Um, For others, you may not do what I do, but for others, here's what I've observed, that some of you instead, you make friends with resentment. I don't know if that sounds like any of you here, but you resign yourself to being chronically uh, disappointed in your relationships, uh, just knowing that no one is ever going to fulfill you the way that you want, um, because that's easier than putting yourself out there. Or that's easier than dealing with the conflict that comes when you make an ask. Or that's easier than being rejected, just living in resentment. I don't know if that applies to anyone here. Or some of you, you've learned to do something else. You've learned that asking is difficult, but if you demand from people, if you say it loud enough and strong enough and you you get scary enough, no one will have the courage to tell you no. And so instead of asking for what you need, you've learned to demand what you need and no one has the courage to stand up with you so, to you so you get what you want, but your relationships are a wreck. Because instead of asking, you demand. And, and then there are some of us here who we take those deep wants and needs that we have and rather than ask for people in our lives to meet those needs or to help us with those needs, we allow those needs to go underground 
and we meet them through various illicit channels. We find ways to get what we want through unhealthy places or, or uh, sinful places, immoral places, all because that's easier. Even though it's dangerous, it's easier. It's easier. It's safer to us than putting our heart on the line and asking for what we really need. And James says this is not only a problem in our human relationships, I think it's a big enough problem there, but James says it is a problem in our relationship with God himself. You do not have, James says, because you do not ask God. And this isn't just James's perspective. Jesus talks about this all over and over again. In Matthew chapter seven, famous words again, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Then he goes on, but for everyone who asks, receives. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I mean, he's standing before people and he makes time in all the things that he has to teach people. He makes time to beg people to ask him for what they really need. He knows this is a problem for us, that we're going to play games, that we're not going to do this. We're going to skirt the issue. We're, we're going to do all those other things in our relationship. Even with him, we're going to fail to ask God for what we need most. And Jesus stands before us, this one who came to give his life for us. Saying to us, there is nothing I would withhold from you, not even my life itself. I am for you and I I came to fulfill your deepest needs, everything you need most. That's who I am. And he takes time to stand before us and say, just ask me. And if you do, I'll give it to you. In another place, it's Pentecost, uh, Luke chapter 11 Jesus says this, if you then, though you are evil, right, we're broken and we're, you know, we don't do the right thing all the time. If you, even though you're broken and evil and you don't do the right thing all the time, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? Pentecost weekend. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The gift of the Holy Spirit was given on Pentecost and it used to be this gift that was only given to a few people, to a special king or to a high priest And then on Pentecost, God breaks open just, you know, everyone can have this. But Jesus says that your Father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit. But but what's required? You've got to ask. Again, God in heaven stands before us and he says, well, you just, I, I know what you need. And I know your heart. And I know your mind. But but will you just ask Now, for some of you, maybe that sounds like God is playing games with us. Like, why doesn't he just give it? Why does he make us grovel? Why does he make us ask? Because asking, and this is is the point, asking transforms our relationships. It is important for us, if we're going to ever have healthy relationships with each other or with God himself, to learn to ask. Here's why. Asking is important because first, it makes you reliant on others. And I know right now there's at least one person here online somewhere else saying, I know, and that's why I don't do it because I don't want to be reliant on others. That's, that's me for sure. But the truth is you are reliant on others. It's already true of you, whether you own it or not. Babies in orphanages die, even when they have food and drink and everything they need, they die for a lack of connection. And we see it 
almost every week some sort of artist or celebrity or high-powered leader crashes and burns because of the isolation that comes with celebrity or the isolation that comes with leadership for a lack of connection. See, we are, we are built, we are made to rely on one another. We, we need each other. And the quicker you realize that you're reliant, the healthier everything in life will get for you. And so why do we have to ask in relationships? Why can't people just know? Why can't they just do it? Why do we have to ask? Because asking reminds you that you're reliant on other people, that you cannot do this alone, that you need others, that you need God in order to make life work. And that's a good place to be. It's an ego killer, but that's a good place to be for you. I mean, for me, this is, this is part of the reason my family, this is why we give. This is why we tithe. Tithing is giving 10% or more back to God because I make enough money to be able to provide for the needs of my family. I do. And we keep our needs small. I mean, it's not the sky the limit, but, but we can do that. And so what you do when you tithe, when you give, is you deliberately say, hey, you know, I, I can do this on my own with this. And you take some of what you need to get by and you give that away. You give that to God's purposes. So now guess what? You don't have everything you need, which sounds crazy, but what does it do? It puts you in a place of reliance. That's, that's what giving does for me. I, I now I had enough. I could do this. Now I can't. And so I'm looking to God saying, God, I can't, I can't do this. And, and I'll tell you, just as a man, as the main provider for my family, this is a good place for me to be. To remember that it's not all on me to provide for my family. To put myself in a place of dependence where I have to invite God in. Because every time I've done that, I've seen God show up and it's transformed my relationship with him. Uh, why is it important to ask? Secondly, it identifies desires and expectations that are unhealthy um, or maybe unrealistic. See, James talks about the swirling around inside of us are all of these desires and, 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 and wishes and lusts and expectations. And some of them are really, really unhealthy or some of them are just completely unrealistic. And yet if we just keep them inside of us, swirling around inside of us, you're, you're never going to be able to check those things on your own. You'll never be able to see them as unhealthy or unrealistic. It's not until you vocalize them, till you verbalize them, till you ask for them, that sometimes as those words come out of your mouth, you go, did I just really ask for that? Because that's kind of selfish and messed up. And then you can do the work on those desires. You can correct them. Or you put that before someone else and, and they help you realize that something else is going on. Here. Look what James says. Next verse is in James. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then he goes, when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James says there are these wrong motives inside of us, but, but often you don't know your motives are wrong until you speak them out. And it's in the asking, it's in the speaking, it's in inviting other people in that sometimes you realize that's not even what I really want or what I really need. I thought that's what I needed, but there's been a need behind that need. That's what, I, that's, that's what I'm after. But this whole time I thought it was about this, but, but you never know that if you just keep them in here and here. When you articulate those things, that's the only way you ever get to the bottom of what's really healthy, of what you really desire, what you really want. Third, why it's important to ask, it gives others the opportunity to demonstrate their love. Not because they can read your mind. If you love me, you could read my mind. No. Um, because 
when you ask and someone you care about takes time to listen, and I know this is scary because they might not, but, but when they take time to listen, to truly listen, to hear you, to acknowledge your need, and then when they go a step further and they actually try to help meet your need, that's love. And that's what makes you feel love in your relationship. Um, a couple of, or actually over the last year and a half, um, my wife Jocelyn, both of her grandparents passed away um, within a uh, just a few months of each other, actually. Um, but this was a big deal in her family because she, her whole family, it was like they were the hub of her family. Some of you have families like that. Her grandparents were everything, and everyone would converge on Valparaiso, Indiana, several times a year uh, because her grandparents were these really important people to her whole family. And so that's been hard for her, losing her grandparents, and it really is hard. It's, it's, a, it's a change for the whole family. And uh, because they both passed away back in March, they were doing an estate sale. Uh, to get the house ready for its transition. And there was some furniture that no one else in the family wanted, um, that Jocelyn really wanted, and she couldn't stomach the idea that it would just be sold off for for cheap to some stranger in an estate sale. And so we talked about this, like, oh, there's this furniture I really want, and, uh, and, 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 and she made the expectation clear as she was talking to me about this. There's furniture up in Valparaiso of my Nana's that means a lot to me. I really want to get that and bring that home. And the expectation was clear. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Can you help me figure out how to do this? And of course, I love my wife, and, and so I was happy to find a way to do this. Okay, all right. Um, so a coworker, Jeff Cook, he was going up to Valparaiso in a couple of weeks for a basketball tournament. I said, can I ride up with you one way? I'll rent a truck, I'll go to the house, I'll load it up myself if I have to, or I'll go bother a neighbor, I'll drive it home, you know, and, 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 and we'll do this. And so we set the plan, we're moving forward. But as time goes on, as we're getting closer to this, there is more and more conflict quarreling, fighting in our relationship about this issue. And I'm thinking, this is not how I wanted this to go. I'm, I'm doing this to make our relationship better, not to make it worse. And then I realized what was going on. She had made clear her expectation. You know, there's this furniture, it's important to me. Would you help me go get it? She made clear that expectation. What I realized is that I also, this guy who has no needs, who's really low maintenance, I realized I also had an expectation. And here's my expectation, I kid you not. My expectation was that when I said, hey, baby, I'm going to take a day off work. I'm going to ride up to Valparaiso. I'm going to rent a truck. I'm going to load it up myself. I'm going to drive home, you know, 14 hours in a day right before Easter, mind you, because this is important to you. I'm going to do this thing for you. My expectation is that she would do this, that she would look at me and she would go, dang, baby. You are my hero. And, and, and my expectation was that she would even say it in that voice. <laughs> she doesn't talk like that, but that was my expectation, that she would say, you know, no one could ever love me the way you do. No one, no one could ever treat me the way you do. You love me better than anyone else in the whole world. I'm the luckiest woman in the world. That was my expectation. And when she didn't say that to me, I figured, well, I just got to start dropping hints. And so I started talking about how inconvenient this was, how heroic my action was, <laughs> right? how busy I am, how tired I am, how much money this is going to cost, how much time. <laughs> you guys are smarter than me. You laughed. I, I thought it would work. I thought it would work. 
Because I don't want to ask, but so I'll drop these hints. And, and instead, of course, she starts feeling defensive and guilty. And, and then I feel unappreciated. And it goes in this whole nasty spiral. And so finally, you know, I was frustrated. I was mad. I'm like, this is not how this is supposed to be. What's wrong with this woman? And I realized what was wrong. I hadn't yet asked for what I needed, what I was expecting. I had not, artic- I had not uncovered that. I had not articulated it, so we were in the middle of a quarrel, a fight, about this whole thing. And finally, I realized, like, this is not what I wanted out of this. And so I stopped, and I said, I said, Jocelyn, I knew what I had to do. I said, Jocelyn, I want to do this for you. I know this matters to you. I, I really want to do this for you, but here's what I was hoping from you. This is what I want from you. This is what I need from you. I need you to look at me and say, dang, baby. No one loves me the way you do. You're my hero. Like all that stuff, right? And I, I just had, and, I, and again, it, like I had to say that. I'm not lying. And, and as I said it, I felt so stupid. Like, like, why do I need that? Why do I need that? And yet, as I said that, I realized, no, that's what I need. For a moment, I, I just need to feel like I'm this woman's hero and that she understands and appreciates that this is a sacrifice and I'm doing it because I love her and that she feels honored for this thing that I'm doing for her. That, that's what I needed from her. And so I put it out there, I made the ask. And you know what? After hearing me say that, in her own way, she didn't use the voice, but um, <laughs> she, she told me all that. And you know what happened? Instead of living as the martyr, which I had been living, I got to play a more important role. I got to be the hero. And she, instead of feeling guilty, got to feel grateful. And we both felt loved. <laughs> See, see, there's no guarantee that will happen when you ask. Someone can shut you down. They can say, I, I don't have time for that. They can laugh at your fa- in your face. They can say, you know, you're foolish. Why should you need that? They can shame you for it. That's all true. And that's why asking is so hard. But there are moments when you have the courage to ask, when you put it out there, when you express your expectation that, that you're giving someone the opportunity to love you. See, our God... He is a good father and he's good in spite of your asking for it. The Bible says that he makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. He's, he's kind to all without their asking, without their worthiness. That's who he is. But, but let me tell you what happens when you stop expecting from God and instead you start asking, it becomes a relationship changer in this whole thing with you and God. See, when you stand before God and when you acknowledge your need, when when you acknowledge that you're reliant on him, that you can't do it on your own, and when you express those things and allow his spirit to work on you to sort out what motives are unhealthy, what are are healthy, which ones are are valid, which ones aren't, to get the need behind the need. And and then when, when you do that, and I'm speaking from experience here, when you do that before God, And you have those moments in life, and it doesn't happen this way all the time, but you have those moments in life when you realize, when you see that he hears you, that that he's mindful of you, and that instead of shaming you for being in need, he welcomes that need. And and when you have those moments where, where you see, because you ask, when you see God meet a need in your life, those are the moments when you realize how deeply loved you really are by our amazing God. See, why do you need to ask? Because it'll transform your relationship with God. Why do you need to ask? Because it'll transform your relationships with people. I think there's no other way on earth 
to feel deeply loved other than taking the risk. So on this Pentecost weekend, on this day where where God gives his spirit to everybody, we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna go before our Father in heaven and we are gonna ask and not just presume that it's ours, but we are gonna ask for the Holy Spirit, which I believe is a thing that we all need most. So, So pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for being okay with our neediness. Thank you for never shaming us when we come to you. Thank you for, even when we're so wrong, even when our hearts are all twisted up and we're asking for the wrong things. Thank you for being so tender with us. Thank you for helping us sort out what it is that we really need and and changing our hearts so that we begin to understand what, what it is that life is truly about and what it is that we truly are longing for when we're all messed up and twisted up about those things. And so Father, today, we just want to make ourselves reliant on you. And we want to ask for what you tell us to ask for. We want to ask for your Holy Spirit. Father, I know that of all the things that you could give us, that's the thing that matters most. And so, Father, I pray for me that you'd fill me with your spirit. And I pray that every person in this room, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that that we would know, everyone online, that you'd fill them right now with your Holy Spirit and that we would know how deeply loved we are by you, that we would understand with new perspective the enormity of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us and the love that went into that. Father, that we would have your spirit meet us in our deepest needs, that your spirit would begin to quench our thirst, those those deep soul thirsts that we have, and that your spirit would meet our needs, those needs that, that we just keep longing for and we find fulfillment in in some healthy and some destructive ways. Father, give us your spirit. Meet us in our needs, our deepest needs. And show us how deeply loved we are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.